Hello and welcome to another episode of CryptoCast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Konrad Stavarsky, a partner at Fintax Legal, a Polish law firm. Hi Konrad, it's great to have you on. Hi James, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast. So I, I think it's just worth just starting talking about the regulated position in general for blockchain and crypto assets in Poland. Can you give us a sort of background as, as to kind of how it's playing out and what's happening in Poland? Sure, that would be my pleasure. Uh, you know, as being a lawyer, of course, I always uh, start with the fact that uh, to be- give a story, you always have to have a common ground for certain definitions. And uh, I think that it would be useful because to see the landscape and pull it in terms of crypto and blockchain, it's good to just, you know, go move back a few years to see uh, where are we coming from. And uh, just like in Poland, just like in many other jurisdictions, the, the main driving force or let's say spark, which started the discussion around the topic of cryptocurrencies, crypto assets was uh, tax law. And that's important because as you will see when I you know, elaborate on uh, these issues, we will see that uh, it still has an impact on what's coming, going and coming in Poland and what's the situation in terms of uh, regulation and supervision. So back in 2016, uh, those are more or less the first um, the first situations where which uh, predated any legislation concerning cryptocurrencies where tax authorities in in, in Poland were qualifying um, the um, revenues and the profits that people were making on cryptocurrencies and I, I actually remember that at uh, that time I had a colleague which worked at the University of Technologies in uh, Krakow who was one of the first successful miners of Bitcoin that I knew and every time that we played football every week he straight out of the dressing room always had this kind of catchphrase asking me how is our business going and that he by that he of course meant that he was asking me how do I tax the money that I make and the cryptocurrency that I mine and uh, you know the only thing that I could told him is to tell him at that time is to just you know huddle as everybody else was doing at that time because uh, what the tax authorities at that time had absolutely no clue how to qualify cryptocurrencies well I mean they didn't have a clue but since uh, tax authorities uh, the main shot colors are lawyers the what does a liar do and he doesn't know exactly how to qualify something well he reaches for the civil code at least you know in continental europe and doing that they actually uh, qualified uh, tried to qualify crypto assets as property as uh, as something that would be qualified as property which would result in uh, applying uh, civil transaction law taxes on them which is in Poland one percent of the transaction value so you can imagine that any transaction which was conducted on crypto exchanges where people on an everyday basis perform more than one more than uh, well the number several at least transactions that you know when you uh, attribute one percent transaction value tax on something like that it would just kill the business so it was then when uh, we started on developing our own uh, definition of virtual currency which is of course a wider term than cryptocurrency which uh, and this definition uh, was actually first in the polish aml law which uh, even predated the uh, eu directive which was uh, at that time uh, well the legislative process in the eu overlapped the polish one which of course naturally impacted the final definition of virtual currencies in poland which is also a digital representation of value 
which no longer, of course, can be qualified as as uh, as, as property, as uh, as an asset, which which. Um, allows for um, autonomous and new definitions uh, being included and uh, it allows um, for for the uh, well, qualification of something new innovative which not necessarily has to be searched for uh, analogous construction in the polish uh, civil code so when that was more or less resolved the Polish uh, financial supervision authorities already started taking a uh, standpoint in terms of their approach to uh, crypto regulation and to virtual currencies. And I would say, and why, when I mean Polish financial supervisory authorities, I mean both the Polish National Bank as well as the Polish Financial Commission of Supervision. We have two authorities in, in Poland and uh, in the, the Polish uh, the KNF, the Commission of Financial Supervision, is let's say the 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 most uh, the most um, uh, the, the entity which has uh, the most impact on the market. So. First of all, uh, they the both authorities follow the standpoint that's similar in most, I would say, member states and jurisdictions in Europe and around the world, which is quite severe in terms of regulated entities, uh, which uh, their approach to regulated entities, when the authorities do not allow them to actually possess cryptocurrencies and crypto assets by themselves. But that does not mean, of course, that they cannot be engaged in the crypto business, which all the Polish uh, supervisors always say is absolutely legal and you can do that. However, they advise cautiousness when handling, for example, merchants that they are servicing uh, as uh, servicing their payments on online e-commerce uh, sites on uh, crypto exchanges. And they, of course, uh, demand that uh, higher level of risk is attributed to them when doing the KYC, when uh, onboarding them. And uh, apart from that, uh, that of course impacts the business as a whole. So crypto exchanges have problems sometimes in Poland, not only finding the PSPs to service them, their sites, but also to have, well, you know, bank accounts in Poland, because that's always a problem. You know, banks are also regulated entities. And um, apart from that, of course, let's say that other side of the equation, the other side of the discussion is the consumer approach. And over there, both authorities have been and still are very, um, very active and monitor the processes, monitor uh, how the biggest international crypto exchanges, for example, are doing and how they're, um, they are setting up their business and offering services in Poland. Then they, the authorities spread awareness saying how volatile crypto business is and how much it can potentially be risky for everybody. So. That's, I would say, the approach to cryptocurrencies and virtual currencies. But an entirely different aspect of the story is uh, the approach of the Polish authorities, both at the supervisory authorities as government, as, as the parliament, to blockchain. And blockchain uh, is, is, is different because, well, the, uh, the Polish entities always talk about um, blockchain as a very very good technology is something that is uh, very uh, positive and that's something that uh, may be a very good driving force in terms not only of uh, development of technologies but also something that could be used with um, their own financial business in the regulated aspect of their businesses so that's something entirely different and they not only um, 
accept it, but they also encourage and even foster, I would say, blockchain uh, technologies and uh, things like that. That's something of an overview that I can tell you for the approach. Uh, the question that I, of course, always has, have, have um, and people ask me is, do we have a crypto license in Poland? and the possibility to obtain one and the answer is no we don't have any license in the comparison that you would find for example to in jurisdictions like like malta or like estonia but we already have uh, implemented the AML5 directive, which means that uh, you can and should register your crypto activity uh, in Poland, uh, and uh, e either if you're a crypto to crypto exchange or you're a crypto to fiat, an intermediary or even a custodian wallet provider, you have to get registered. But the procedure itself is fairly simple. You have to prove. Uh, and it's actually that funny thing is that it's not handled by the financial supervisory authorities, but by the tax authorities. So that's something that's kind of um, uh, catches on to the first issue that I mentioned that why is tax important because it's still one of the entities one of the authorities which regulate well if not regulate that at least register uh, the business uh, all you have to do when you register is to prove that you have a reputation you have no criminal conviction and that uh, you have knowledge which can be proved by a diploma or by market experience that you know about financial services at least if not crypto generally that's what I would say an overview of the landscape looks like. That, that's really interesting. I think the other thing it's worth just kind of say to an A is also as regards to the payment side of this, because quite a lot of crypto businesses are also looking to either incorporate payments or have payments in relation to their thing. Can you also give a kind of a view, short overview also of the kind of post approach to e-money? Because I understand that that is um, slightly unusual to, to the position people might expect if they're sitting in somewhere like the UK. Well, uh, in terms of e-money, that's true. In Poland, we have only one uh, EMI, Electronic Money Institution, registered, which if you compare it to the um, amount of such entities in the UK or even in our neighboring Lithuania, uh, that might uh, you know, seem pretty, pretty strange that there are no entities which offer or not a lot of entities which offered the electronic money and the truth is that this isn't i would say directly related with the qualification of virtual currencies and tokens as electronic money but of course as we know uh, a lot of situations where there are a lot of situations where cryptocurrency can in fact be qualified as e-money and tokens and that's not only from the psd payment side of the equation that's also you have to think about the qualification in terms of you know securities if our tokens actually something that uh, that includes property rights or shareholder rights these are things that you know may force even other not only e-money qualifications but the thing is that in poland uh, the and i think that the issue of e-money generally in europe is a big discussion because uh, there isn't an uniform a European uniform approach and definition of e-money, and in Poland, it's it's different. It's it's a long story, so you know the we're not going to talk about the whole thing. We would be happy to to do it in a different occasion. But the thing is that in Poland, it's generally acceptable by the Polish regulators to do similar services, which um, in 
in the UK, for example, will require an EMI license, but in Poland, uh, would, it would be sufficient to offer these same services with just the payment service uh, of a payment account with uh, a license. So a payment institution very frequently in Poland can and is allowed to do the same kind of um, services in terms of, for example, handling cash on a payment account that normally would require in the UK uh, e-money uh, kind of service. And this is, of course, the question that you would probably ask is, okay, but what would happen if I would want to have use a Polish license and passport it to other countries in the Europe, which not necessarily have to share that same approach? Well, and that's a different uh, question, but generally I've we never had experienced um, any problems with our clients or any of the entities that we know when they passport themselves because, you know, the main rule, the principle of the Polish um, or the European single uh, single market is that the passport is something that's and the license itself is primarily handled by the supervisory authority of the member state of the home, the home member estate where the entity is registered and licensed. So it works and uh, we, uh, and even though that's something that you would need e-money for in Lithuania or uh, UK, these are just the two examples. I keep on repeating these two jurisdictions because they're close to my professional experience too, but you can still do a business over there with a license in Poland under the payment institution license. And in terms of kind of, because we get quite a lot of, of firms now are looking um, to, to set up practices in the UK and Europe. What advice do you have for blockchain crypto firms looking to set up in Poland? Well, first, I would say be cautious. <laughs> be cautious because uh, just like you never have a second chance for a first impression, that similarly when you start your business, you will never get a second chance to set up properly. And this means that you have to, for example, monitor if uh, the things that you are doing do not uh, do not cause uh, a probability for you being qualified by the regulators uh, or, you know, you know, also criminal enforcement authorities um, of providing payment services without a license. And sometimes it may uh, be very, very unintuitive because if you, for example, hold uh, crypto wallets or, for example, uh, offer services uh, which enable uh, stashing or handling of fiat currency, which then you use for exchange on the crypto exchange, that very often can lead to a qualification under the PSD2 or EMD2 directives and their you know, implementations in the Polish law. And the thing is that, of course, uh, it takes a long time to even have criminal proceedings initiated against you because, you know, providing payment services without a license is under subject to criminal liability. But the KNF, for example, has a very, very um, important and uh, very uh, very big weapon and arm at its disposal, which is uh, the list of public warnings that's published on the KNFC site. And it's very easy to get uh, in onto that uh, public warning uh, list. It doesn't actually itself cause any material consequences at that first time because the KNF, for example, always enters entities over there when it submits a suspicion or an application of a suspicion of uh, criminal activity uh, in violation of financial services laws to uh, to criminal authorities. But even though that they not yet initiate the proceedings, the entities already entered in that list. And when it is right now, there are 38 uh, entities entered, entered on that public warning list of the KNF, and eight or about eight, about eight or ten of them are actually crypto entities. Uh, so 
it's hard to do business because make no mistake about it if you are entered and you don't even have to be registered in poland to be entered there there are also entities that uh, operate from beyond poland that are entered on that list nobody in poland is going to nobody that's aware is going to be doing business with you and it's going to be very very hard to for example um, you know contract banking services and the second aspect that i would say that you should be also taken and uh, taken into consideration is consumer law because especially if you compare the approach onto consumer law in um, in Poland to that that is in the UK very frequently uh, we have you know surprises of our clients the ones that we bring into Poland especially from the UK it may sound a little far-fetched I imagine especially for the UK perspective that consumer law terms and conditions but that you know that's a big problem from consumer from the consumer law perspective but really the requirements in terms of linguistic precision in poland clear indication of rights and obligations they're pretty big here especially concerning you know e-commerce activity and that's the you know the, the the bigger you are the more on the radar you land and it's the, the moment that they treat uh, that the, you're qualified the provisions may be qualified of your term tncs as abusive they will be null and void and of course apart from the aspect of of, uh, competition uh, law regulation and um, and a scrutiny you would also have problems with you know contracting and the enforceability of contracts that you conclude and just lastly just if I can just spend a moment on what do you think the future developments are like to be in Poland because these things seem to be always in a, in a state of change are there any particular changes in Poland which are likely to turn up soon uh, well, I would say that, uh, well, that's always the billion dollar question, isn't it? Uh, what do we expect that will happen? And uh, I, I never I, I never have a crystal ball uh, in front of me that allows me to tell you what's going to happen, whether, for example, we're going to have blockchain dating sites and things like that, where you could have somebody uh, that will... Uh, well, the, the, that would be able to, you know, see the track record of dating that would be encrypted in the blockchain or things like that. But the thing that it, we are actually waiting for is the Mika, just like everybody in Europe, and um, having it transposed and implemented in Poland and, and with our laws, because that's the moment that I think may be a game changer. I think that banks are not only going to cease to be reluctant and to be engaged in crypto activity in Poland, but they may even, uh, you know, throw down the gunlet towards crypto incumbents. I know that may sound a bit uh, funny to call banks uh, uh, contenders uh, in response or in relation to you know crypto incumbents, but I think that the future that we will we'll have and the, that the banks, once they are licensed and authorized to, for example, keep crypto assets, generally speaking, not only cryptocurrency, is a moment that uh, would be a game changer because you can imagine people who have, uh, you know, from politically, from political views, from policies and just, you know, common approach and what they hear about cryptocurrency that they may be wary uh, when they see that, you know, a bank is going to be offering this these services, some, some, something, an entity that's always qualified is very, very um, trustworthy, then, uh, you know, it's something that the, that may uh, you, we may find like a banking omnichannel where in the e-banking profile you will see both your euros, your pounds, your zlotes, and also crypto assets, cryptocurrencies, which will be a, a separately held, but also available and accessible from that omnichannel. And the second, so so that's, I would say, the, the, the one aspect. And the other, 
which I would say that is in an even less distant future uh, and would not require adoption of any new legislation. And where I see a lot of potential and a lot of exploration in field of you know cryptocurrency and blockchain is uh, is the area of anti-money laundering. Because uh, we had, for example, in our law firm, uh, the pleasure to take part and had a working group in the Polish Banks Association where we were addressing potential areas of digitalization of corporate banking. And one of the issues that was was uh, very well received and very uh, and everybody actually was thinking about it and it's something to do in the future is to try to create a certain uh, well blockchain or pla blockchain based platform where you could store and stash, for example, the KYC data that would, was um, gathered by banks when they were onboarding their clients and something that could be accessible for all of the banks, which would make the KYC much not only the KYC much faster but also the updates of um, AML information where everything could be accessible in one place, which would be benefit not only the banks themselves, but the consumers, the, the uh, clients of the banks that they they um, and would make something like let's say a big digital blockchain library of financial information of course within the confines of banking secrecy and everything and that would also require a competition law assessment because it would be kind of like a collaboration between competing banks but that's something that I think is on the agenda and we may see developments there because quite frankly it's a good idea and there's a lot of money to be made on that too. That's been absolutely fascinating, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. Anyone who wants to reach out to Conrad, his email is conrad, that's K-O-N-R-A-D dot Stolarski, S-T-O-L-A-R-S-K-I at fin, F-I-N-T-A-X-L-E-G-A-L dot com. Conrad, it's been fantastic having you on, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you for listening to our latest podcast. Gunnar Cook has a market-leading blockchain, crypto assets and DeFi team, providing legal advice across the whole of the blockchain ecosystem. Our members have been heavily involved in helping shape the legal and regulatory framework for blockchain and crypto assets from the start, meaning that we have an intuitive understanding of our clients' needs and can provide focused, pragmatic advice at predictable cost. For more information, please visit our website. Thank you again.